Hey there, you're listening to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to find out more information, you can go to campusbiblestudy.org. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I am be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, and therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Hi, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors with Campus Bible Study. Thank you for joining us again as we come to meet with our great God and to learn about Him through His Word. Our world is a difficult and uncertain place at times. We're particularly feeling it at the moment. But God's Word continues to be the solid rock, the solid foundation for our lives. And our great God is the one who gives us the comfort and the strength to get through these hard times. So please join with me in praying that God would again speak to us, that we could build our lives upon Him. Let's pray. Lord God, Your Word is good, sweeter than honey, more precious than gold, and guiding us in right paths. Heavenly Father, You alone are the rock and refuge that gives stability and protection for our lives. As we hear You speak, direct us by Your Spirit to walk in obedience and to find hope and assurance in your steadfast love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the good life and how can you get it? We all want it, but few of us seem to attain it. What's more, you only get to live once. You've got one crack at it, no second chances. And so for many of us, YOLO becomes this mantra that we indulge in a cocktail of self-indulgence and experience, trying to squeeze the most of this one life that we've got. But at the same time, 
most of us find that YOLO is actually more about you only live online at the moment, stuck inside, not able to do the things that we'd love to be doing. So how is it possible to live the good life, to live a fulfilling and meaningful and enjoyable life, particularly in these times that we live in? Well, a fascinating study was conducted in America over really the last 75 years exploring the lives of a group of people to try and work out what leads to the good life, what makes them tick, what makes them get through life the best way possible. And in this TED talk by uh, the director, Robert Waldinger, uh, it's been watched over 33 million times, he talks about one of the key findings, one of the keys to happiness and the good life. Have a look at how he concludes and let's see what he says. Just like the millennials in that recent survey, many of our men, when they were starting out as young adults, really believed that fame and wealth and high achievement were what they needed to go after to have a good life. But over and over, over these 75 years, our study has shown that the people who fared the best were the people who leaned into relationships with family, with friends, with community. What do you think? A radical discovery? We find the good life when we focus on others and not ourselves. On our relationships rather than our own personal happiness. And isn't it great when science discovers what the Bible has been telling us all along? You remember, remember last week uh, at the start of Philippians in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, when we flip our lives around, when we put others before ourselves, we fear that we're going to miss out, be neglected, be afflicted and overlooked. Because isn't that the way that we view others when we're at the center of our lives? But God shows us the glory of loving other person-centered relationships as he left the splendor of heaven for the humility of the manger and then the shame of the cross. And he did that to show us a better way, to show us the good life, because God's people do the same. We do it for the honor and the glory of God, and we do it for the sake of others. We joyfully live this life. Because this is the good life, and this life is all about relationships. So we're at point two in your outlines, be a star. Now in verse 12, the start of the passage we're looking at today, Paul affectionately addresses the Philippians as my beloved. But then he goes on to exhort them to obediently work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, is it just me or does that sound a bit heavy handed and even frankly unchristian? I mean, have you ever heard a Christian describe their relationship with God as one of fear and trembling? And isn't a central pillar of Christianity that we can't do anything to save ourselves, but it's purely by our faith, our trust that Jesus died for our sins in our place on the cross. So why does Paul talk of fearful work? Well, it's great to be confronted by something that we, we don't understand as we read the Bible that doesn't fit with our framework of the world and of God, because the problem is with us and not the Bible. And so here we have an opportunity for God to teach us, to show us the truth of who he is, 
that we can better understand Him and how we live for Him. Interestingly, we see fear and trembling along with obedience in a couple of other places in the New Testament. Uh, Firstly, in Ephesians 6 on the screen, it talks about the way that bondservants, well, they obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling. But have a look how the passage continues. You see, they obey with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You see, Christians are to relate to God just as a servant relates to their master. And so the, the first words of the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians come to mind. Paul and Timothy, they introduce themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you're to live obediently serving the God who made you, our great creator and judge. God is a loving father but he's still God Almighty. Jesus is our interceding brother, but he's got the highest name and all of creation will bow before him. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus welcomes you with open arms, but he's not your mate or your boyfriend or just one of the boys. God is God and there is no other. He is Lord of all, And so God's people have always rightly approached him with fear and with trembling, rightly recognizing that he is God and we are but the creatures, the work of his hands. So we know God's warm welcome, but do you know the right reverence, the awe of the Almighty? Something that we irreverent Aussies often need to be reminded of. But don't think that obedience with fear and trembling somehow rules out a joyful and loving relationship. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 15, we see this relationship between Titus and the Corinthians described in the same terms. See, Titus's affection for you, those Corinthian Christians, is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and with trembling. You see, Titus is a man just like us. And yet the Christians honored him and respected him and received him with fear and trembling. They didn't hide under the doona, but they welcomed him. They ate with him. They lived with him. They enjoyed life with him. And they demonstrated their obedience to God. And so Titus was filled with affection for these dear brothers and sisters. You see, Christians live to obey God, honoring him and fearing him in every aspect of their lives. This is the joy of faith, and it's our devotion and our commitment. You could say it's our work, our life's work. Not to in any way merit salvation, we know we can't do that. But it's to please our loving Father, who gives us life and breath and everything. And when I say everything, I really mean everything, because in verse 13, it's actually God who gives us the will and the ability to live in a way that is pleasing to him, that rightly honors him as the God of our life. So do you see how relational our life ambition is? As God's children, it's our joyful labor to obediently live to please our Heavenly Father, to seek to delight him 
with the strength and the ability that he gives us. Speaking of children living to please their parents, I'm sure you're no stranger to parental expectations. Maybe it came out with your degree or your relationships or your hobbies or your jobs. If you haven't felt it, maybe you've never deviated from the path your parents have planned for you. But I know lots of you have felt it. You've deviated from the path. Uh, Maybe it's when you studied less to serve God more. Uh, Maybe it's when you left the prestigious career at one of the big four for the sake of training for ministry. Or maybe it's when you exchanged the honor of medicine for the flexibility of science so you could keep Jesus as number one in your life. Many of you know the painful love and pressure of parental expectations. So did you notice what our Heavenly Father desires of His children? He wants us to be bright, but not university medalist kind of bright, but in verse 15, as those who shine, standing out from the dark and depraved world around them, just like stars twinkling in the night sky. And the thing that makes God's people stand out is how they relate to one another. Now, if you've got siblings, you'll know that they can be your closest friends and your fiercest enemies. Siblings argue, they grumble, they fight. But that's not how God's children are to live. Our other person-centered love is putting others before ourselves. And it puts an end to that self-centered bickering and complaining and arguing. And as we do that, we are seen to be the pure and blameless children of God that Jesus has made us to be. But do you, like me, occasionally struggle to love your Christian brothers and sisters, to remember that their needs are more important than your own, to value them above yourself, to put yourself out in their service, to forget to build them up and say that word that tears them down. God calls you to repentance and love. But at the same time, have you ever had a fight with your sibling? Did this cause you to be kicked out of the family? I hope not. And it's much the same with God. When we fail to live like his children, but return and repent, we don't fear being cut off from God's family. We his adopted children. He holds on to us. That in no way minimizes our sin that we cause hurt and harm to others. But it does give us great comfort that God is a merciful and a gracious father. The father that all human fathers are supposed to live up to. That long to live up to. So you see, it's first faith and then fellowship. As you trust in Jesus for your forgiveness, you then live out your faith with fearful obedience to God. Shining as God's children in your selfless fellowship with one another. And then... Just keep on shining. Most human stars shine just for a moment. We've already forgotten the winners of the last Olympics and those who are going to compete this year, those stars don't get to shine. Maybe next year. But God's people, we're in for the long haul. We don't peak in our 20s or our 30s. We keep on growing and maturing and continuing to shine all the brighter throughout the days our Lord gives us on this earth. So do you know how to keep on shining? As verse 16, as holding fast to the word of life. Whatever else happens, 
whatever new trends or situations you find yourselves in, new movements or philosophies, never let go of the Bible. Never move on from God's Word. Never cut or overlook or twist or manipulate or downplay any part of what God has said for His people. Sure, there are bits that are confusing and confronting and challenging, but our orientation, our heart's desire is always to obey God's Word, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And God works by His Spirit through His Word to do what He promises in verse 13. Conforming our will to His, giving us the ability, the strength to live that out in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God. And so that's why we keep on coming back to God's Word day after day. To listen, to learn, to study, to meditate and always to obey. If you want to know God and experience His power in your life, then get into the Bible. If you want to keep on shining for God as one of His children throughout your whole life, Hold fast to the Bible. And if, you never get to, and if you've never read the Bible before, well, we'd love you to give you an opportunity to. Uh, chat with those you're watching with or fill out the slip on the screen. Get in touch. We'd love to help you to unlock the riches of God's Word to meet the God who made you and loves you. But we also want to keep on giving you opportunities to wrestle with God's Word together. And so here's a chance for you to discuss a question together. Sadly, we know when it comes to human stars, so often they're bound up with their own ego, filled with pride. So it may be surprising that when it comes to consider some Christian examples of heroes, those we'd look up to, Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus, it may be a little concerning, even if not surprising, to see Paul talk about his pride in verse 16. So here's a question for you. Where is Paul's pride? Take three minutes to chat with those around you and we'll see you soon. Okay, we're at point three. Look to the stars. Do you have Christian role models? To call them stars is a bit misleading. Christian leaders aren't all about promoting themselves or building their name or their ego or their fame, but rather they live to magnify Christ and to serve His people. That's what we saw in chapter 1, isn't it? But having Christian role models is a normal and important part of the Christian life. If you flip over to chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul explicitly calls the Philippians to join in imitating him and his co-workers, those who walk alongside him. People like Timothy and Epaphroditus, as we see in our passage. So let's have a brief look at their example. Did you notice where Paul's pride is? Uh, pride's generally negative when it's all about us. But Paul's pride is in the Philippians' faith. When Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, Paul's concern, his joy, his life ambition is that the Philippians are still trusting Jesus. Because on that day, nothing else matters. Standing before the exalted Christ, no one's going to say, Man, I wish I got to ski at Whistler. Or if only I got to go on that European backpacking holiday. Or I wish I'd smashed that first year philosophy quiz and got that high distinction. And even great ambitions like marriage or kids, 
they're going to pale into insignificance when we stand before the exalted Christ on that day of judgment. And on that day, no one will regret the sacrifices and the cost and the things that they gave up to serve their risen King. Not for their faith and not in the service of others' faith. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 17. He's using this Old Testament sacrifice imagery to describe both his and the Philippian suffering. And rather than complaining about this, it's a point of rejoicing. He literally says, I rejoice and I rejoice with you and you rejoice and you rejoice with me. The point couldn't be clearer. There's no hint of regret or complaint. If it pleases God, if it serves another person in their faith, then it's a source of joy and delight to Paul because he knows what truly matters. Joy comes through serving God and others. It's all about relationships. This is the good life that we're looking at. And so Paul longs to send his co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, before he himself hopes to come. It's all for the progress and the joy of the Philippians. Verse 22 then describes Timothy as a faithful son, following in the footsteps of Paul, his father, as fellow servants of the gospel. Timothy's standout trait comes in verse 20, that he'll be uniquely concerned for the Philippians' welfare, for the concerns of Christ Jesus, that is. So even though Timothy goes to bring Paul back a report about how the Philippians are going, Paul knows he's going to serve the Philippians, Because he's not concerned about the things of himself, but the things of others, ultimately the things of Christ. Do you have friends who are like that? Friends who keep asking how you're going. Not just in life, but in faith. Whenever you catch up, they want to leave you feeling encouraged and spurred on to keep on holding fast to the word of life as you live out your salvation day by day. Or perhaps you have friends who keep on talking to you about Jesus and the great joy of following him as the Lord of their lives. They too are friends like Timothy. Friends who share Christ's concern. Those friends are true blessings in our lives. Maybe can you be one of those friends to others in your life? Now you might think that these characters all sound a little bit extreme. You prefer being a moderate Christian. You do well coming to growth group and turning up to church, but you don't want to go over the top. Sadly, I think this describes huge swathes of the churches around us. Those who want to live the mediocre Christian life. I wonder if Paul would say they're consumed with their own interests rather than those of Christ Jesus. Is this a critique that we all need to hear in Sydney? perhaps around the world. Now, my uncle shares a story of a team breakfast on a rugby tour. As they tucked into their bacon and eggs, the coach got them to reflect on what went into the meal. The chicken, it sacrificed a lot. But when it comes to the pig, he really gave it all. Who are you going to be when it comes out on the field this afternoon? Motivational words And if it's not too irreverent, Epaphroditus, he was a pig. He selflessly gave his all, even to the point of death. 
He was bringing a gift from the Philippians to Paul as an expression of their partnership, their shared goal to proclaim the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the way, it seems he fell seriously ill. But rather than reflect, than rest or to neglect his duty, he kept on going, pressing on to serve, to provide for Paul and the progression of the faith. And it nearly cost him his life. Now, to think Epaphroditus was merely a messenger with frozen soup, well, that would clearly miss the point. See how richly he's described in verse 25. There's the affection of a brother, the labor of a co-worker. There's the discipline and the suffering of a soldier of the gospel. There's the purpose of the messenger and there's the service of a minister. Epaphroditus was a man of many hats, but under them all, he was a selfless servant of Christ and Christ's people. Do you see how Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they all model this other person-centered love, living sacrificially to please God and to serve God's people. And while many of us think that you'd be leaving behind all the joys and the richness of life, that this would leave you deprived and miserable to live like this, do you see there's not even a hint of grumbling, not a clue of any complaint, but instead just joyful and meaningful lives lived for their Savior and their King. But you might have noticed there's a lot of anxiety. In verse 28, Paul is anxious. In verse 26, Epaphroditus is distressed, or you could say anxious. And even back in verse 20, Timothy is concerned, or you could also say anxious for others. So here's another question for you to discuss together. What is it that makes you anxious? I'll see you in three minutes. We're at point four, godly anxiety. We've seen how the Philippians are to prioritize living out their faith in fearful obedience and in loving fellowship with one another. And these same priorities have been modeled by Paul and Timothy and by Epaphroditus, sacrificially living to please God and to serve others. And though they all suffer, there's no hint of regret, no remorse, but only rejoicing. But what is going on with all this anxiety? Isn't this supposed to be the good life? And isn't Philippians famous for telling us as Christians not to be anxious? Of Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious in anything. So what is going on? Well, the first thing to acknowledge is that anxiety is a really big deal in Australia. Our pre-COVID-19 studies say that one in three women and one in five men in Australia are likely to suffer anxiety in their lifetime. And coronavirus is only expected to make it worse. So if you or those you love are struggling with anxiety, Don't struggle alone. Share that with a trusted and mature friend. Talk to your GP about it. There's good help that you can get. But I want to say if you're struggling or even if you're not, I'd really recommend that you Google Paul Grimmond and anxiety. Uh, He used to be one of the pastors here at Campus Bible Study. Now he lectures at Moore College. And as someone who's struggled with anxiety, He writes really past, really carefully and sensitively and insightfully 
about how Christians can really helpfully deal with anxiety in their lives. Uh, there's a couple of resources there, but do Google Paul Grimmett and anxiety. It's well worth a read. But still, what's going on with these stars and anxiety? What is it that makes you anxious? I know that for me, conflict and disappointing people are big ones. At the moment, money and work, family and health, uncertainty, they're all on the rise. Now, some of our anxieties reveal sinful priorities or dependencies in our life. Other anxieties are just good and natural consequences of living in a fallen world. And frequently, they're a mix of the two. Sometimes they're also exacerbated by imbalances of chemicals in our minds. Anxiety is a complex topic, but the Bible has much more to say about it than just no. For Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus, their anxieties are bound up in the faith and the well-being of others. If you like, it's loving other person-centered anxiety. And that kind of anxiety is a good thing. It's what Timothy's commended for in verse 20. Do you ever feel such a deep concern for your own faith or the faith of others? Perhaps we can learn from their example of anxiety. Hasn't Philippians been great for us so far? It keeps raising our eyes to see the importance of things we too easily forget. The centrality of Jesus for our lives and our joy. The supremacy of Christ and our need to model his other person-centered love. And now to value faith and fellowship above all other passing interests. This is how we seek to serve our King, to live out our faith with fear and trembling. When we're convinced of this, it's only natural to give our all for the faith of others and for the good of others. Living out our faith in dependence of God are you anxious for the things that truly last? This is the good life. Is it your life too? Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we are sorry that we are too easily domesticate you and downplay your awesome nature. Please forgive us. Grant us fresh eyes to see who you truly are and what truly matters in this life. May we all receive your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And may we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, holding fast to your word, depending on you, seeking to please you and serve your people in all things. Change our hearts to value what you value and to care for others above ourselves. And hold us fast in you until the day when your son returns or you call us home. We pray in the name of our exalted Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes to automatically download our most recent podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Campus Bible Study, you can visit our website, campusbiblestudy.org.